When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Empire. Hello and welcome to John Kimes Podcast. He didn't do the first intro correctly, so like Eric Bienemy with a botched huddle at training camp, we made him go back and do it again. And he didn't do it well the second time, so here comes the second team. This is Sam Fortier with the Washington Post. Uh, welcome in. We've also got Pete Haley on the Derek Jeter retirement tour and Matthew Paris. And you can find and, and John the time also, I guess. Yeah, I am here. I am here. But you can find me the podcast on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. You're watching on YouTube. Hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button, or you can just kind of bop Sam Fortier in the nose right there. You can find us there as part of Empire Media. That's A-M-P-I-R-E. You can always read my work on ESPN.com. You can find Matthew Paris at WashingtonTimes.com. Pete Haley's got a new job he's going to tell you about. And I don't care if you find Sam Fortier's work. <laughs> so let's get to it, fellas. How are you guys? Woo! There that we go. A banger of an open. It is a banger of an open. <laughs> Let's get it going. I don't know how much longer we can make this retirement tour last. So right, know. because as as many of you know, this is this will be the last time these the the four youngest reporters on the beat will be together on the podcast. Um, so you know, I think it's just, but really, Pete, because as many of you know, Pete is leaving to join NBC Sports up in Stamford, Connecticut, and has a new job. So, Pete, let's start with that. We're going to get into all the commander stuff what these guys thought of training camp and or so far getting into the Browns preseason opener, et cetera, Eric B all that stuff. People tell them where you're going right now, just so we can get that out of the way. Yeah, I'll be quick. Cause I'm sure a lot of your listeners know, and this is actually the second goodbye podcast I've been on with Paris. So it, the goodbye tour is, is lengthy. I'm going all the away ballparks, getting all the gifts real quick, joining NBC sports in Stanford, Connecticut, as a researcher for their golf studio shows, their golf, products their golf broadcasts and also to work on football night in america which leads into sunday night football every week so really exciting but i'm gonna miss these three idiots and the other people who are brave slash crazy enough to cover the commanders so uh thank you time for having me on one more time and you know so people should know too because obviously it's a competitive beat and it really is and everybody wants to do a good job everybody wants to have that story get that news or whatever but you can also have fun, enjoy the people you're working around while still competing with them. And so I think that's why, you know, I couldn't find people that I like. So I have these guys on, but, but that is, but seriously, like you can, you can enjoy the beat because it's a very tough beat. And this has been a very tough beat over the last several years. And, you know, these guys have been there covering all that stuff. So anyway, that's why it's, it's always sad to see a guy like Pete go, but you know, Pete, I know you like our bits. And so we'll probably, you know, send you some snapshots of whatever bits we have. And, um, Oh, Hey, if you can hold on one second, I got to take this call. Hey, what's up? 
Oh my God. All right. Yeah. Hold on. I'm doing a show. I'll call you back afterwards. Let's hope people don't watch the YouTube. All right. So for all you people who stuck with us after that lame banana YouTube phone joke. um, Anyway, let's get to the commanders on the field. So, and Matt, remember to use your outside voice on this show. Um, Yeah, please. (laughs) But so let's go around the, go around the horn with Sam. We can start with you in general thoughts almost three weeks into training camp two and a half weeks or so what has been your big takeaway so far my big takeaway it's pretty boring and and basic but uh i think that the defense has looked really good and chase young and the rest of the defensive line i thought has has looked up to the potential the defensive backs uh, i'm curious how they're going to ultimately find that balance because i think with a lot of different packages they can do a lot of different things you know, one really good example of that is Benjamin St. Juice has mostly been at the nickel position with Rashad Wild Goose behind him. Um, the other part, the other component of that, I think, is that the offense is looking a little better. There's been moments, and, and Sam Howell, I thought today, which I believe is Tuesday, although it all blends together during camp, uh, had some really nice throws, but ultimately the offense has lagged behind. And Eric Bienemy, I know that that's probably something we'll get into a little later in the show, but um, with him, you know, can this offense you know, kick into high gear early on and, and can this team not start slow? We think Matty P. Yeah, I would uh, agree with that. I mean, the up and down nature of Sam Howell throughout camp has been really, I think expected, but it has been jarring when it is super down. That one Friday practice was his worst um, by a mile, but he has rebounded since then. And besides the offense or Speaking of the offense, Eric Bieniemy's kind of constant yelling, getting on players, attention to details. It was really obvious in the spring, but I'm curious now how it'll hold up throughout an entire season. And maybe it's recency bias with Ron Rivera's comments today, but um, it is it it has stood out to me to see whether this can actually hold and what kind of impact it makes once the season begins. I will uh, land on Emmanuel Forbes's just early impressions. I think he's going to be the most impactful first-round pick for this team since Robert Griffin III in 2012 in terms of what they do in their rookie year. And I know Chase Young was defensive rookie of the year, seven and a half sacks, made a bunch of plays around the goal line. I think Forbes will be above Chase Young, and he can't be as impactful as RG3. RG3 changed the whole city, but close-ish to it in terms of just transforming a defense i think he's the real deal no concerns about the way so much excitement over the potential the tools the speed and he's also just a really mature guy already so i loved what i saw from Emmanuel forbes in ashford he's a smart kid i think he's a smart corner that's what always jumped out at me when you watch him play in college that some of those plays he's making is just it's from film study and i think you see that on the field here the one thing that stood out to me too i'm curious what you guys think about this because you guys have been around now for a couple years the practices have had more urgency and there's been more intensity and there've been some longer practices and a higher volume of plays. And some of that is the impact of the as his offense coordinator coming and making some suggestions, but it does feel like it's been a more um, intense or purposeful training camp than the last couple of years. Do you guys agree with that? Uh, yeah, I agree. I'll, I'll start. I asked uh, today, uh, I couldn't remember how long the practices were last year and they were an hour 45 yeah. and sometimes like up to two hours and 20 minutes. These guys have averaged about two and a half hours, uh, at least when the pads are on. So it has been really jarring on how it's um, 
how they're going about it. And I think John Bates used the word, they want to be situational masters. And I think that's a good phrase uh, for it, just because of how much they focus on specific areas. I've enjoyed watching how much red zone work they, they've been doing it in around the goal line. And I think you really kind of start to see that precision, that timing that's starting to improve because they're focusing on it over and over and over. And I can see how excited you get while you're sitting on that tree stump over by the field. Yeah. <laughs> As long as it's, uh, uh, <laughs> but it's true. What what's the impact of all that, Pete? What do you think? I mean, do you do you think it has been more intense? Oh, definitely. I would love. I wish we could set this up. Have Eric Bieniemy travel back in time to last year and watch Carson Wentz overthrow running backs <laughs> in like the first ten minutes of practice when we were all standing there. Like, is this a real NFL team? Is this what should be happening? Bieniemy would lose his damn mind. He gets pissed off at the smallest of things. So practices are way more intense. I think the increased presence of fans also has that uh, consequence of raising the guy's focus and intensity level. Um, and I, it's got to help. I mean, details matter as cliche and as lame as that is details matter in every job. And if you have someone who's over your shoulder screaming at you about the details, sure. You might get kind of pissed about that and it might wear on you, but it's also going to make you more aware of how to hone in on those things and make fewer mistakes. That's kind to Sam. 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 Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are two things I think that stand out to me here. The first is the conditioning. Antonio Gibson talked about he has not practiced this hard since he's been in the NFL. And particularly for a guy who has struggled with his conditioning at times in the past, I think that this is, you know, it's really positive to hear him say that I'm in really, really good shape. And it's not like, I don't think it's the annual training camp. I'm in the best shape of my life. Like he actually does look, um, I think a, a little bit better than he has been in years past. The second thing is when we talk about situational, it's not just, Hey, like this is the landmark I have to hit in the end zone or, or the, you know, in the red zone and in, in sort of the players on the field. I think one of the things that stood out to me is two minute drill from mm -hmm. the other day and they've struggled. The first team offense has really struggled in two minute. And I think that's probably because, you know, they haven't been able to use as much, you know, play action or RPO as much gadgetry as they have otherwise. But uh, they, they got down to, I believe it was like the 25 or 30 and there was nine seconds left. And the clock stopped, and Eric Bieniemy ran, ran on the field. It was like, why? Why did the effing clock stop? And one of the only times I've seen him kind of pump the brakes in this training camp was when Ron Rivera said, "Because I called a timeout." <laughs> yeah. And Bieniemy was like, "My bad, coach. My bad." Um, but then you know it was Eric Bieniemy, Ron Rivera, and the head of analytics, Doug Drury, and they right. basically were talking about, okay, if we have nine seconds and we have one timeout, do we? Do we? you know, spike the ball, stop the clock, take a shot to the end zone. Do we call the timeout and try to, you know, hit something quick over the, or do we not call the timeout, hit something quick over the middle for a closer field goal, call the timeout? How do we game plan these situations? And I think that's going to be really fascinating because when I asked Ron Rivera about it afterwards, he said, Eric Bieniemy seems like he always wants to be aggressive. And without the high-flying Chief, Chiefs offense, are they still going to be as aggressive as Eric Bieniemy wants to? Sam, and do you have the head of analytics on speed dial on one, two, three, four, all of your numbers? Like, how often do you talk to this guy? It seems like he's probably your best friend already. The guy's number. Uh, I when I wore when I wore the I love True Media shirt that you got me, he was like, yeah. he was like, he pointed at me, he was like, my guy. <laughs> but that is a good point, though, because there's a lot. Of the The details are the biggest thing that I've seen, um, and as you know, like situational football matters and they haven't been good in the red zone. They weren't as good on third downs. And those are areas where they focused a lot this, um, this summer. So another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Check planning for what's next and how to save for it. 
That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. School is out and summer is here, so it's time to plan your next family adventure. With eight different levels, 16 courses, 250 climbing obstacles, and over 4,000 feet of zip lines, the Adventure Park at Sandy Spring, located in Montgomery County, Maryland, is the largest ropes course and zip line park in the country. Beat the heat and join us after dark for some night climbing. When the sun goes down, the park is lit up, allowing you to climb under the stars. Check out their glow in the park events for extra glow lights and music throughout the forest. Want to keep your feet on the ground? Grab a bite to eat from the food truck and give axe throwing a try. Perfect for first timers or experts, their projector systems allow you to throw at traditional targets, play tic-tac-toe, connect four, or even hunt zombies. Listeners of this show can get $5 off any ticket by entering the code KIME23DC at checkout. That's promo code KIME23DC, K-E-I-M-2-3-D-C. Now open seven days a week, this is the perfect time of year to get outside and join the adventure at theadventurepark.com. You know, is this team more positioned after just a couple of weeks watching, are they more positioned to get off to a better start because of all this work? Yeah, I should get tiebreaker go to the guy leaving the beat. So anytime I step over you guys, please defer to me. Um, I would say between the increased intensity and also next week's Ravens practices, where you're going up against a different team as opposed to just the same commander's jerseys day after day. I think that's going to help them start fast. Also playing the Cardinals with Colt McCoy is, is a elixir for slow starts too, but then there are some tougher opponents after that. So I don't know why Ron, it took them so long. I mean, I, I kind of understand why it took them so long to find a partner between Ashburn's facilities being limited and, and COVID, but um, it's, it's really good that they have this matchup now with Baltimore, get some really quality work. Then the third game, you let the backups figure it out. And then hopefully the starters can capture that momentum, beat the hell out of the Cardinals and, and take care of some more business in September. Well, yeah. you... Go ahead, Matt. Oh, I was going to say, I just think by like outwardly talking about it and making it a, a focal point, it could have an effect too. You know, think about what the defenders have said. And so many guys on this defense have said Jack Del Rio in meetings have said, start fast, start fast, start fast. And last year, the message was humili- humility and trying to, um, you know, handle their success better. And I think as last season went on and when things started to improve, uh, they didn't give they didn't buy into their own hype that they started to kind of be grounded. And I think that had an effect. And so, you know, you look at this defense, a lot of the pieces are the same. I think maybe they'll have to work out some kinks with Benjamin St. Juice and a slot, but Honestly, St. Juice might be having the best camp of anyone on the roster. So the good, you're right. Um, you know, I I think because the continuity is there, I think this defense in particular has a chance to start really fast. The offense, uh, we'll see. All right, Sam. Best camp, best camp on the roster, and and Pete's take about Emmanuel Forbes is the best since RG three. Like you guys are coming in with some spicy yeah. takes. I didn't realize. 
uh, well, something's on fire I mean, behind Paris. There, look at that. <laughs> yeah, uh, I went the I went the anti Russell lighting. You know, I wanted to be properly lit. I think. Good job. <laughs> I think that uh, the attention to detail will help, but I also think that a thing that people might be overlooking is like they will be better in the red zone because they have Sam Howell at quarterback. And I'm not saying that because of Carson Wentz. I, I'm saying that because last year when they, they struggled are. deep in the red zone. I, I think I think a lot of that I think a a significant portion of that was because of Taylor Heineke's arm strength. And that's not to knock on the guy because I think that he, you know, played really well. But like, you know, in that Giants game, in, in the second Giants game in Washington, like I think that was one of the problems. And obviously the play calling wasn't great either. But when you have a guy that can fit it into tight windows on like a five yard out, as we've seen Sam Howell do to Terry McLaurin against a guy with length like Emmanuel Forbes, the Coaching will help, but also I think the the talent, the arm talent is going to help a lot too, um, particularly in the red zone. So, and and I think the emphasis on getting Logan Thomas back involved down there, the tight ends in general will also be a big factor. Let's talk about BME because, you know, we, I think this is going to air either Wednesday or Thursday. And so I didn't want to start with that because it's we're going to move past that. And I think my guess is that we're going to talk about this. And then Wednesday morning, Ron Rivera is going to come out and say like, hey, I don't think you guys... I don't, that, it's not exactly what I meant to say. So let's take all that into account. But this, we're going to go off of what was said today, what was discussed. How big, a, how big an issue is this? Could this be? Is it one? And from what per, and from what angle? I don't think it's as big of an issue in terms of players, you know, hitting the enemy or it could wear on them. I could see it wearing on them if the season goes off the rails. And, you know, everyone's losing, everyone's in a bad mood, then be enemy style, maybe grading. I think the more interesting, the, there are two parts of it. The first is that kind of subtle conflict, if you can even call it conflict, between Rivera and be enemy of whose team this is. By by tailoring so much to be enemy, you know, I, I think Rivera, whether intentionally or not, kind of sent a message that this is still his team, that he's still kind of the head coach in charge. Sam, I actually think the timeout example you brought up, even though they were laughing and joking about it, is another reminder that, you know, Rivera ultimately makes that last call. And then the second is just, it has the enemy's demanding coaching style, his intensity, has that actually contributed to him not getting head coaching jobs? And how much is he willing to change that as the season goes on? Because I actually thought the, the second part of Rivera's quote today about how him and Jack Del Rio have learned to uh, adjust a player's personalities was much more interesting uh, than the players coming to Rivera and and saying that they might have some complaints or concerns about the enemy's coaching style. Right, and I think I think that's a good point too because I think if you put the period after enlightening, it's not as big a deal. What yeah. do you think, Sam? Yeah, I would I would certainly echo those comments. And one of the things that stuck out to me is during the practice that got the chippiest, there were two examples where Benjamin St. Juice had PBUs um, against the first one was against Dax Milne. And he like went to dap up Dax afterwards as like kind of a, I think a taunting thing. And Terry McLaurin did not like that. Mm -hmm. And then right after that, you know, in the next period, Cole Turner had a play over the middle, Benjamin St. Juice broke it up. And then when Cole Turner put his hand out to get helped up, St. Juice just stood over him. And then Terry McLaurin went over there and took his helmet off and like started getting after Benjamin St. Juice. Eric Bieniemy obviously did not like that and was basically saying, 
shut the F up and get back to the play, get back in the huddle, you know, run the play, don't get distracted. And then Terry McLaurin, who was on the other side of the formation, motioned across next to the enemy. And Terry said, basically, you can't do that to a teammate, bro, to be enemy. And I'm not saying that those two were like locking heads, but I think that in that moment, Eric Bieniemy was not turning off Eric Bieniemy because that you know he's going to say that when Nick Gates throws a ball, he's going to say that when Terry says something. But in that moment, I think Terry was trying to say to him, "It was important for me to say that because that's my teammate. Those are both my teammates, right. and they can't do that to each other. And I'm a leader on this team, and I'm stepping up and saying that." So again, I'm not saying there's a rift between them or that there's friction, no, there's but that was a moment where that was that was a an, a specific anecdote that I think that Ron Rivera was talking about when he's talking about Eric Bieniemy is is who he is, whereas. Jack and him have maybe learned to like tailor it to some of the players. And a little bit. And I think also in that case, because when he said, to, I think he was also looking at the entire offense initially, because it wasn't just because Terry was getting upset, but others were as well. So I think a lot of that was directed wholly. And then Terry had the exchange. I also think that between like guys like Terry and Ben, I mean, I don't know if they did this, but that's one of the things it's like, Hey man, you, you talk later and you say like, okay, I got you. You know what I mean? I think that knowing those two, especially, but um, I don't know, but you know, Pete, you've been around this a while. Like, you know, how could this manifest itself? And and it, again, would it? Is there any concern on your end about how it would, might play out here? Definitely concern, like Paris said, if it if it starts off poorly, or if it's there four and eight, and it's cold as hell in Ashburn, and people don't want to be out there, and the enemy's just grilling these guys constantly. I could see that getting pretty tiresome. But at the same time. It's on these guys to be professional. He's your coach. He's trying to make you better. They need to realize that. Um, it's a huge contrast compared to what Scott Turner was. And even last year between Turner, Del Rio, and Rivera, while Del Rio and Rivera have these defensive backgrounds, they don't really come across as complete hardos when we're wow. out there. So you have three kind of relaxed guys. I can't. I think I can count on one or two fingers, let alone hands, how many times I've heard Del Rio out of practice. You never hear him. You never so it's him. it's gone from like a quiet practice field to the enemy can be heard all the way into the gravel parking lot that's eight miles away and gives Ben Standing a heart attack every morning. So <laughs> it's going to take an adjustment, but the players Only need to adjust. The way they've been doing things in the past hasn't worked. It's a new attempt to do things, so try this. And also, lastly, I think it's on Ron a lot of not knowing how to keep this in house. This did not need to be explained so much. And it's like when he said the quarterback comment to Paris last year, and it sparked a Monday night countdown segment and Archie three and Alex Smith are talking about it. Like I, we love it because it gives us something to do, but at the same time, it almost makes you roll your eyes because it's like, okay, this didn't need to be the thing. We could have just talked about the enemy and, and Sam Howell, but now it's to talk about all this other stuff. Go talk to other players about it, get reactions. So it becomes a headache. And Ron has been creating headaches a lot for a guy who pretends to be so let's only talk about what's important and not what's interesting. I also wonder when, you know, cause right now it's all a job interview with new owners. And so how, I wonder how all that gets processed. I think, you know, you can, you can certainly move past this. This isn't a hard, I don't think it's a hard one to move past, but you have to have success. And I think, um, you know, uh, yeah. I mean, sometimes there are unforced errors and, and there you go. Let's go on to another one because we probably only have about 10 minutes and I know you guys have dinner reservations and I appreciate the invite. Um, I can't make it. I'm sorry to tell you guys that. Gonna have to sorry, this it's one out. Josh and Magic and Mitchell and all those guys are coming. We had a table for eight, but Mark Ein <laughs> called last minute and it's going to be us. 
and well, one other guest. Same they, must be, they must be taking his helicopter from, from my backyard <laughs> to get there on time. So, all right. So let's look at um, any, when you look at, is there a, is there a perception you guys had of this team going into camp that maybe has changed after a few weeks? While my uh, comrades here pause a second, I'll say my hope for the defense has gone up a little bit because of fours, because of Chase Young, um, and because of just how deep the secondary looks overall. They have so many guys. I think they're going to cut one or two players who they otherwise would have kept in previous years, and they're going to have a lot of options to move people around. Uh, but that increase in optimism for the defense is probably offset overall by, by decrease in optimism for the offense between Hal being – I think a little more down than up and the up not necessarily being as high as I would like. And the offensive line looking sketchy, having some health issues already with city Charles. Like I think those offset. So I'm still at eight or nine wins. Um, and then if they get more turnovers, if they get lucky on offense with Sam Howell doing something I'm not prepared for, then they can get to double digits. Hopefully. Time. Are you, are you going to ask what perceptions have not changed after this? You or, can go or, that way too. If you want okay. to go that way, that's fine. Because ask about I want to ask about the preseason game after this. So go ahead. If you want to go that way, go ahead. Okay. Well, I'm, I'll, I'll do two quick ones then. The okay. thing that has changed for me is I think that I the more I see him in pads, the more that I like the signing of Cody Barton. At first, yeah. I was like kind of unimpressed, like ah, you know, he's Cole Holcomb by a different name, basically, same number of letters in his first name, both begins with C, whatever. Uh -huh. Like, but then I think that he is a more fluid linebacker. He looks like he's more comfortable at his size where I think Cole was shifting from outside. And, and I know that, you know, he played safety when he was younger. And so I think that to me, Cody Barton looks like a guy that's going to be pretty solid in the middle, um, especially because I think Jamin has been a little underwhelming in camp. The thing, the perception that has not changed is I'm still pretty concerned about this offensive line. Pete, Pete touched on the health and the Sadiq Charles angle, but Regardless of health, I think that interior is is a complete mystery. Um, Nick Gates, you know, didn't play center a ton. There were some snap things early in camp. I think Andrew Wiley needed a, a lot of you know help in terms of chips and doubles and scheme in Kansas City, and he was the fifth best starter on that line, and now he's expected to be second or third. So um, those are probably the two quick takeaways I'd share. What do you say, Matty P? I think for me the the way that the secondary lines up, uh, I actually think we're going to see a lot more Percy Butler in those three-man sets uh, than maybe I expected going into camp. I, I think Quan Martin has had a little bit of a quieter role than I would have thought um, for a second-round pick. He's pretty much been Cam Curl's backup in that Buffalo nickel role, and Cam Curl, of course, didn't participate in spring OTAs uh, for team drills. So uh, I think that's going to be different. And then... Um, yeah, that I mean that that would be the main thing is that the secondary looking a little bit different, and then I think we'll see a lot of Forbes, and I think it'll have a big impact. Yeah, and I you know it's funny because like I like Quan Martin, but it's like you're you're going to need to get. And I think they're going to have a role for him, but I also wonder what that role is because you you need to have you have second or third and fourth round picks. You've got to get some contributions from those guys. So I think they will from Quan, but yeah, that I think part of the thing for him is and the good thing for them. Guys like Forrest have really have improved. Percy Butler's improved. And so I think it adds to their versatility, but I, I don't know how deep his role is going to be at this point. What about, let's turn let's turn the attention to Friday preseason opener. Again, we don't know as of taping this, how much guys are going to play, but 
are there some things that you guys are really looking for in particular, or even maybe some guys that we know are going to play who are not, you know, maybe fighting for jobs? Is there a position battle you're looking at? Or is there a position in particular when you look at Friday? If Sadiq Charles plays, I think the left guard is one. And, and how that unit looks together, like are they going to be better than the sum of their parts? I think the fifth defensive back spot, like we've talked about, like, you know, who who is going to play at the nickel? I know that'll be matchup based, but but what does that rotation look like? I'm also pretty curious. I know that the defensive line is, is pretty loaded, but to me, you have five defensive ends in F.A. Obata, Casey Tuhill, James Smith-Williams, and the two draft picks this year, K.J. Henry and Andre Jones. You can probably only keep three or four of those guys, so who impresses? And then the the tight end, you know, the tight end room. Like, if, if you don't have Logan Thomas, like, is Alex Arma going to step up? Curtis Hodges, he's had some drops in camp. What does that look like? What does that room look like? Because they will play a huge role in this offense, particularly with blocking. I was totally dismissive of Alex Arma at like the beginning of camp because they've had him forever. And at by the end of it, I was like, they seem to like him and want to use him in a million ways. And I don't know if I would do it, but I'm not dismissing Alex Arma anymore, being somewhat of an important player, which is a weird thing to say. Um, for Friday... I've always been a receivers guy and well, I don't necessarily care about the back end battles because these players make the team and then they get waived immediately or they stay inactive for six weeks or something. I want to see if Deami Brown, who I think has had a decent camp and has shown more than I expected. If he can bring that to the field. I remember last year against Kansas city, Sam Howell targeted him a bunch, including a couple times downfield and Brown just couldn't come up with it. So I want to see Deami actually take it to the field. And then I want to see Kaz Allen both as a returner, if they let him, but also as a receiver. He did some good things and some one-on-ones when I was watching him that's catered towards receivers. So can he get open against opposing DBs in the slot and make some yards after the catch, which would be a very nice thing because they've had Dax Milne and those types of players who don't get much yet. Yeah, I want to see the right side of the line. We, you hit on the left guard competition, but I Harris think- going right. Nobody's surprised by that, by the way. <laughs> well, I think um, the times is finest, baby. Oh, God. <laughs> anyway, ignoring that, I think Sam Cosme ha- has been maybe their most consistent lineman in camp, and um, him being at, at guard I-, I think is really interesting. See how Wiley holds up. If we want to go uh, obscure um, wide receivers and that sort of thing, Mitchell Tinsley uh, and that Jake Fromm connection, I- I'm interested to see whether that uh, goes to the yeah, field. Yeah, definitely. Brom, by the way, said uh, the other day, Pete, that Mitchell Tinsley was his go-to target in man coverage. So, uh, oh God, that makes me yeah. want to puke. All right, <laughs> there's some betting going on there. So just, but yeah, you can listen to the other podcast for that one. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Are you and, done, Matt? And, or you no, want to go? No, no, that's fine. Can I can I circle back and have another one? Because I, I I thought that either of you were going to hit on Sam Howell as as the obvious one, and I was trying to leave that. But I'm actually really interested in the kicking battle too. Yeah. <laughs> but the problem with the so hard thing with Howell is that I think that to me the bigger test is the Ravens' practices. You think you think the Ravens' practices are bigger to, just because he'll have more reps? Because you're going to get more reps, more situational work. I think you yeah, can control that more. Control. So I think that, like, yeah. yes, I think that will because. As of again, as of we're talking now, we don't know how much is going to play. Is it a series? Is it two series? How many? Wor- how much work now? If he goes out there and lights it up, that's great. But I still, I just think that he's going to get more work in those two days. So you're going to get a lot to learn about him in that time. 
Sure. I'm not saying that that you won't learn things on, on Friday or that you won't learn things in the camp, but I think Friday I'm interested in, does he get the ball out of his hands super quickly? Yeah. Because that's the thing in camp. I don't think he's processed and, and gotten the ball out super quickly where I think this offense will demand it, especially in quick game. I think that, you know, his footwork, especially under center, um, you know, can he, you know, set the protections right? I think those are all things that, I'm curious to see if he can do it. Like it's the mental processing stuff. Cause I think that we know he has that whole shot to Terry against cover two, which you saw in Dallas. Like he has that in his bag and we know he's got the mobility in his bag, but mentally, where is he at? And I, and I listen, I want to see that. I just don't know again, until we know how much he's going to play, that's the hard part to know. So, but yeah, if he goes out there and he's, and they look crisp like that, of course, that's what you, you know, that's what they want to see. And that's what they need to see. And I think we can, you can learn something from that. I just think the amount, the volume of work next week will tell us a lot. And and it can and, and also it could be, do you build on whatever you show Friday? Um, do they look more comfortable running their offense Friday because you're running against a defense that is not shouldn't be as good as what this one is? You're running, you know, so I think there's a lot of reasons what a lot of things you can still get out of him um without a doubt. So got anything else, Pete? Um, just how often they target the running backs, uh, between Gibson and Robinson, will they throw to them a bunch? That seems to be a theme of camp and, and how does Chris Rodriguez look, assuming he gets some of those reps in the second half. So, um, do the running back throws come and not just in the flats or in screens, but do they try and, you know, get them involved a little bit more downfield, especially with Gibson? Do they ever split them out wide? There you go, fellas. That's all I got. I know you guys got your reservation. So again, I appreciate the invite. I'm going to have to decline once again. I appreciate the text, Sam. You know, you said you wanted someone to liven it up tonight, and I just I'm going to have to pass. So yeah, you know, I know you. You know, I'm I'm the in case of emergency, break glass, bring the party guy out. I got it. You know, keep everybody young. Hey, I I'm going to be fifth wheeling uh, this date. So if you and your girl want to come, that that you'd be more than welcome. All right, thanks. Sam. I'm going to be your date. We'll be All right, anyway. Listen, before we go off the rails again here, I appreciate you guys coming on, Pete. Going to miss you a lot. And so, you know, anytime you want to come on, just, you know, you're out of luck. Sorry. Yeah, I'll just record a Zoom by myself. And <laughs> yeah, that's, like just send it in. You know, just text me and I'll read some stuff on the air. If you got, hey, I do these <laughs> mailbag Zooms. You want to send in a question? I'm happy to answer yeah. it. You know, Pete H. from Stanford wants to know, how are the bits in the press room? So <laughs> I love that. There you, you should there make you that go. a recurring but, bit. But yes, you know, but, it, but that would be good. But we will miss, we will miss you, Pete. And I thank you guys for coming on. This is always one of my favorite podcasts to do. Um, and I know shout out to Mrs. Fortier listening to her son on the on the show. Um, I hope we did well. So thanks, guys. Oh yeah. Be kind. See you, Mrs. Fortier. See you. We'll see you.